Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Katie G and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic and bulimic. Today is Thursday, September 6, 2018 and we are at the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. Today we are reading from the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, and we are in the chapter Two Wives, page 106, starting with the first paragraph, Sometimes There Were Other Women, and reading through five paragraphs, ending with Death Was Often Near. Today's readers are, for the 12 Steps, Anne K. For the 12 Traditions, Jody E. Q. And readers of the text are Rachel W., Larry K., and Devorah S. The reference number for yesterday, Wednesday, September 5th, are for the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 11878, and for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 11880. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Anne Kay to read the 12 steps of OA. Anne? Um, you're a little bit far away, Anne. Can you try again? Yes. Is it better? Uh, let's try it. Okay, okay, Here are the steps we took, which is suggested as a program of recovery. One, we were, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for his knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 
Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening, as the result of these shifts, we try to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Anne. And I will now ask Jody E.Q. to please read the 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Jody? Good morning, everybody. This is Jody E.Q., recovering in California. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants, they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Jody. <clears throat> okay, how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, or five, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share. But we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing um, what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, please press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book in the chapter Two Wives on page 106, starting with the first paragraph, 
Sometimes there were other women. And we're going to be reading through five paragraphs ending with, death was often near, welcoming comments on all paragraphs. So we're going to start off with Rachel W., please, to begin reading. Miss Rachel. Thank you so much, Katie. Good morning, everyone. Okay, sometimes there were other women. How heartbreaking was this discovery? How cruel to be told they understood our men as well as we did not. The bill collectors, the sheriffs, the angry taxi drivers, the policemen, the bums, the pals, and even the ladies they sometimes brought home, our husbands thought we were so inhospitable. Joy killer, nag, wet blanket, that's what they said. Next day they would be themselves again and we would forgive them and try to forget. We would forgive and try to forget. We have tried to hold the love of our children for their father. We have told small tots that father was sick, which was nearer the truth than we realized. They struck the children, kicked out the door panels, smashed treasured crockery, and ripped the keys out of pianos. In the midst of such pandemonium, they may have rushed out threatening to live with the other woman forever. Rachel, I can't hear you. Oh. Nope, we got you. Oh, dear. Can you hear me now? I can. The last thing I heard was forever. Oh, let's see. Oh, where is that? (laughs) Which paragraph is that? I have to get that. Hang on one second. Oh, I got it. I got it. In the midst of such pandemonium, thank you. In the midst of such pandemonium, they have rushed out threatening to live with the other woman forever. In desperation, we have even got tied ourselves, the drunk to end all drunks. The unexpected result was that our husbands seemed to like it. Perhaps at this point, we got a divorce and took the children home to father and mother. Then we were severely criticized by our husband's parents for desertion. Usually, we did not leave. We stayed on and on. We finally sought employment ourselves as destitution faced us and our families. We began to ask medical advice as the sprees got closer together. The alarming physical and mental symptoms, the deepening pall of remorse, depression, and inferiority that settled down on our, own lo- on our loved ones. These things terrified and distracted us. As animals on a treadmill, we have patiently and wearily climbed, falling back in exhaustion after each futile effort to reach solid ground. Most of us have entered the final stage with this commitment to health resorts, sanatoriums, hospitals, and jails. Sometimes there were screaming, delirium, and insanity. Death was often near. So um, a little earlier, this is Rachel Dobby, Recover Compulsive Aver, calling from New York. And a little earlier we were talking, and um, I was told the reading starts with sometimes there were other women and ends with death was often near. And now I see... It could have just ended with a sometimes there was screaming delirium and insanity and death was often near. And that's it. We could have just finished reading with that because I think, you know, in, in this situation, it would be so, so um, understandable to think like someone's going to die. You know, someone, big, something big is going to happen. And I think um, one thing I'm getting from this is that, you know, the desperation of, of someone trying to change something you know, um, going to this one, going to that one, um, and, you know, trying to control the situation. But I know for myself and my marriage and in all my relationships, um, the more I try to control and the more I try to change the other person, 
the, the more I'm, I'm just left, you know, and um, just helpless and hopeless. And, and um, you know, what does this have to do with addiction? Like, what does this have to do with compulsive overeating? Well, you know, this paragraph talks about, you know, they struck the children. And in, in this, you know, in this addiction, food addiction in particular, but all addiction, I believe, um, you know, I may not smash a door or get physically violent in any way, but I know that I have to keep in mind that everything that I'm doing has to be compatible with what I believe. So I have to be an authentic person. And I think that coming in here, putting down the food, you know, and leaning into the steps, I don't know if it's actually made me an authentic person, but I I sure do know that that's my goal. And um, it can do that because I've seen that in other people. Because it's only when I'm authentic and real that I can pass on anything. Um, Because, you know, we might not hear about the severity of addiction in that way, but um, I know that, I mean, I'll just say I, you know, experience it in, in devastating ways, in the way that I'm, I am devastated by other people's addictions, and, and they're affected by mine, you know, when, when they're left amok and unchecked. Um, and, you know, another thing I, I was thinking here is, is, is staying abstinent with my food plan. It doesn't prevent family dysfunction with pretty much, I think every home has it, <laughs> family dysfunction, but keeping abstinent simply gives me the choice of how I'm going to react and whether I'm going to be facilitating the transfer of it to other people and, and devastating others with it. Um, so I think that, you know, what I've seen over the years in this program, I certainly have tried to control people's behavior. I've certainly tried, tried to control others. I certainly thought that because I became abstinent, I definitely was the savior of, of mankind and I could just tell everybody what to do. But I realized today that, um, that the change has to happen in me, that I have to focus on myself first, not in a selfish way, but focus on, on being real and authentic and behaving in the way that I want other people to behave and in a way that, that brings these steps alive and, and melds them and includes Hi, them. As a, thank you. I'll end with that. Um, ends with, um, that includes you know, the steps as, as a fabric in my family. So I'll, I'll end there. Thank you so much, Katie. Thanks for allowing me to share in the past. Thank you, Rachel W. All right, my fellows. The meeting is now open for sharing. Please press star 1 to unmute your phone and say your first name and the first initial of your last name. And who would like to share? Nessa R. Amy got you, G. Nessa. Maryland. Amy, I got you. Gabby G. <laughs> Larry K. <laughs> with an identity problem. <laughs> we got three who else. I've got Nessa R, Amy G, Larry K. Anybody else want to throw their hat in the ring? Jackie L. Jackie L. Yes. Lorianne L. Lorianne L. Okay. We're from Larry K. Cracking up. All right. So we're going to stop and we'll add Russ. So we're going to stop right there. And if everybody except for Nessa R could mute their phone, and just a gentle reminder, please, no speakerphones. It makes it super hard to hear your wonderful share. So the lineup that I have is Nessa R, Amy G, Larry K, Jackie L, Lorraine. I didn't get the first initial of your last name. I think maybe N, Mary K, and Russ M. Um, so we're going to go ahead and get started with Nessa R. Nessa. Hi, good morning, vision for you. My name is Nessa R, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. 
I have learned um, a whole bunch of wonderful lessons in recovery. And I know that as long as I keep them ever present and I'm mindful of them, I'm going to, uh, to be okay. And some of them are, um, you know, I am allergic to sugar, flour, and being told what to do. And I am addicted to sugar, flour, and telling others what to do. And, you know, it doesn't work very well uh, when I live in this second proposition, um, especially. Um, you know, and I've also learned that there's only two things that I really can control. I can control my thoughts, although it's hard sometimes. I can control my thoughts. I can control my speech. And I can control my actions. You know, I cannot control anything outside of those things. I cannot control the past. I cannot control the future. And I definitely cannot control other people. You know, the only thing I can do... Um, you know, as a recovered person to help others is to offer my experience, strength, and hope when they care to have it. And if they don't care to have it, um, I can pray for them. And, and, and as importantly, I can live the program. I can be a role model. And maybe through, through that, people um, who suffer from addiction um, can come to see that what is possible for, for me is possible for them too. And if they don't come to see that, there's nothing I can do about it. You know, I know that for me, nothing anybody else could have uh, done or said would have helped me get um, recovered any sooner than I was ready to. And it's not any different to, to anybody else. You know, like people have to reach the level of pain um, at which they're willing to change everything because for everything to change, we have to change everything. And I know that, that came uh, to me, even in these rooms, I wasn't ready. Um, I struggled in these rooms for nine years, you know, on and off with my abstinence, never really working the steps, um, you know, because I, I guess my pain level wasn't, uh, wasn't enough. And I guess I was fooling myself thinking I'm just going to meetings and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. Um, you know, and that absolved me of responsibility because everything I was trying was failing, but at least I thought I was doing something. But then the pain got so bad, the pain of the binge, even while I was binging, not only the morning after, everybody feels the pain the morning after, but even while I was within the food, like actually uh, shoving the food down my throat, the pain was so incredible. Until I got to that point, I wasn't ready uh, or willing to do what I what I really needed to do, which was, you know, become entirely abstinent and, you know, then work those steps. And the same way that nobody could have done it for me, I cannot do it for anybody else. Um, and um, with that, I pass. Thank you. Wow. Perfect timing, Nessa R. <laughs> All right. Next up is Amy G. And then it'll be followed by Larry K. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, Katie. Can you hear me okay? Katie, Sorry, Amy. Me? Yes, I can. I can hear okay. you. I was muting myself. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, thanks for your service. My name is Amy G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Um, there's a quote somewhere in the big book. I can't remember where, but they say where you know just putting down the alcohol is like the farmer that goes into the shelter during the tornado, and when he comes out completely ignoring the devastation around him and saying, "Hey, Ma, ain't it grand? The wind ain't blowing." You know, just not me not compulsively overeating was not enough for me. And I came in gratefully to this program pretty young at like 22. And I thought, how could I have hurt anybody? You know what I mean? It was just me and my eating and my bulimia. 
and you know who who did I bother? And and the reality was is as I bottomed out on this disease and started working these steps, desperate, dying and doomed, you know, and wanting just you know to stay alive and not have this disease kill me. As I worked through the inventory steps, there was this revelation of my selfishness and my self-centeredness and the devastation of the, that I wreaked all around my family. And I don't know what it is to be cheated on, but I certainly know that in my life and in my active addiction, I was the other woman on a number of occasions because I I didn't care. You know, at the expense of my disease and what I wanted, I didn't care whether I was being a, whether I was being a home wrecker or not. You know, they used me, I used them, especially if they had the drugs that I wanted that I needed at that point to help maintain my weight. I eat amphetamines and cocaine. If you had it, I didn't care who you were. And I just threw my moral compass out the window. I mean, no wonder I couldn't live in my skin. It still makes me a little bit err in my gut when I think about what I did. But the reality is that these steps and the transformation spiritually for me is that I was able to work through that and understand what it was and who I was as an active addict and compulsive overeating and learn how to take responsibility, make amends where I could, except when to do so would harm others, and go through this process of changing emotionally and spiritually. But to be the other woman and having done that, I understand that I didn't just hurt myself. This disease wreaks havoc with everyone around us and every life that I touched because I was so sick. And that's the reality. There is so much more to this disease than meets the mouth. It feels excuse upon. It devastates me and all of those around me when I am active. And it's immature and foolish for me to think otherwise. And as I progress through these steps, thank God for this program because now I can live in my own skin without having to anesthetize myself with food. And I can also have choices and take responsibility and be a woman of character and integrity and who I think my higher power, whom I choose to call God, wants me to be. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Amy G. And next up, we'll have Mr. Larry K. followed by Jackie L. Larry. Katie, I thought I'd hear, we'd hear Gabby G. Oh, there's Gabby G. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Katie. Okay. Um, yeah, I want to I want to chime in on here. You know, my, my wife would would forgive and forget. You know, she did this over and over again when I was married years ago. You know, I tell her today, if there is if there is a heaven, she's going. <laughs> she's there's no no pass go for this woman. Now, I, I didn't strike the children, the child, but I hurt others with my words. And, um, you know, reading these paragraphs takes me back to a time in my life when, when my marriage was crumbling, um, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. It would always crumble. I wanted to live better. I wanted to feel better. I wanted to do better. But the progression of this disease was too much to bear. For me and and I had a spiritual malady although I didn't know it that despite the you know the best of my intentions I remained blocked off from my higher power and I kept living and thinking and and feeling and acting the way I always had and there was a sense of internal emptiness for me and it was kind of a, a pervasive feeling of being being you know hollow and empty and, and something was always missing and my sick mind would never be able to overcome my sick mind see the needed power wasn't there for me so I can read the, you know, these chapters. And, and, and for me, the manifestations of my addiction was, was really an attempt to fill this emptiness from the outside. 
So I, I sought food. I sought out food, and I sought out activities, and I took on lots of jobs. Um, um, I was the judge, and I was the, the professional jury member, I'm gonna, and I was the executioner with character assassination. I did lots of different things, and, and it never filled the hole in my soul. And in my mind, see, addiction always has a spiritual component. That's the way I see it today, a disconnection from the power source. You know, Carl Jung viewed addiction as a spiritual malady and addicts as frustrated spiritual seekers. That was me. That's no longer me today. I'm no, I'm no longer craving that. And see, now the practice of compassion is a spiritual experience. With It, it has a spillover benefit for me. Compassion breeds more compassion. And when we're brought into alignment with the power greater than ourselves, something divine begins to unfold. And so I'm not the same guy. And, and we have an awareness that suffering and failure and imperfection are a universal existential thing for human beings. And the more we're capable of practicing compassion for others and for ourselves, the more we give it. So compassion toward a single individual facilitates compassion towards others today. There's more tolerance and love by the grace of God. Thanks for your service, Katie. With that, I'll pass. Perfect, Larry Kay. Thank you for your service. And now we'll have Jackie L. Please, followed by Lorraine, and I think it's N. Jackie? Jackie L., if you would kindly press star 1 to unmute your phone. I'm not hearing you. Maybe it was my bad ears. I think I heard a Jackie L. Okay, Jackie, we'll return to you. Um, let's go with, I think Lorraine, is it N? Lorraine, could you plus star one, please, to unmute your phone? I had someone there. Am I being heard? Yes, you are, Katie. Oh, wonderful, thank you. Okay, no worries, so we'll come back. We've got Jackie L and Lorraine N uh, waiting in the wings. Let's try Mary Kay. Mary Kay, are you available? <clears throat> okay. All right. Then four of them last on our list, but certainly not least, Russ M. Russ, are you uh, available to share for us? Star can one. I, can I be heard? You can, Russ M. All right. Katie Let's hear Kay. you, Russ. place to me. With uh, all these beautiful fellows. So, my poor wife, God, God bless her, and you know my children for that matter. But we're not there yet. But you know there was distraction, there was pandemonium and craziness, and you know broken, broken doors, um, a stool that was was like a family heirloom that I broke. You know, I, I, and, you know, my kids forgive me. My wife, she bears with me. And now that I'm a new man now, you know, I'm this uh, recovered dude. So I want the gold star for doing what, I, what I'm supposed to do. I say that a lot, you know, because I have, to, I have to check myself on that. There's nothing special with really what I'm doing. I'm acting like a normal human being. And these years of, emotionally battering people and 
subjecting them to craziness, it's not it's not going to go away overnight. And even today, being out of the food, which is it's awesome, it's awesome. I still have stress. I still have anxieties. I still have fear. Yet I have a way of managing it. It ain't perfect. None of it's perfect. All these hardships, they keep coming. They never stop. And, you know, I, I do. Sometimes I'm saying, yo, God, come on, pump the brakes a little. Because, like, you know, he's going to listen to me like that, right? But it doesn't give me the right to, one, try to try to medicate and not deal with it. I have to deal with it. Two, you know, bulldoze my family and people around me because it's not working out for me. That's not that's not love and tolerance, man. That's not living by what you know what God wants out of us. And actually, I I have been learning that when these tests these things come up, these trials, it's like he's you know God is testing me and saying, how are you going to react? Do you really trust me? And it's starting to you know starting to turn a little bit. It's not perfect, but you know I'm I'm managing. My my point is is that you know life we're going to have these hardships. We're gonna we're gonna have things that that batter us, and we we have we have the solution, right? We have the solution, but our 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 families have taken so much, especially our spouses and our partners have taken so much from us, and they kept hanging in there. I'm lucky because my wife hung in there. Most people would have left, so I got to give it time, and really I need to shut my mouth and recover, and that's what I'm gonna do now. I'm gonna shut my mouth. So y'all have a good day. Love you. Thank you very much for everything. Thank you, Russ. Thank you so much. So before I open up the meeting, we had three ladies who volunteered to share, and I just want to make sure I've not missed them. So if your name is Jackie L., would you please press star one? Okay, we'll move on. If your name is Lorraine, press star one. Okay, and finally, Mary Kay. If your name is Mary Kay and you'd like to share before I move on, please press star one. Okay, so I guess we'll get you on the second round. So for anyone who's just joined us, just a reminder, we are in the chapter two wives. We're on page 106, starting with the first paragraph. Sometimes there were other women reading five paragraphs through death was often near. And I'd love to welcome um, additional fellows. First name, first initial of your last name to share, please. Leah S. Anna K. Leah and Anna. Okay, I got Leah, Anna, and then that's it. Najia S. Najia S. And then was that Lynn? Yes, Katie, thanks. Wonderful. Okay. Anybody else? Hudson L. Hudson L. You guys are being so good. One, two, three, four, five. One more person. Throw your hat Jody. in the ring. Jody EQ. Wonderful. Okay. So let me tell you the lineup I have. I have Leah S., Anna K., Najia S., Lynn S., Hudson L and Jody EQ. So if everybody could please star one to mute your phone if you're not Leah S. Leah, good morning. Good morning, Katie. Thank you so much for this service. Um, so these paragraphs are all about um, retaliation and um, 
and and I'm thinking a lot about the step tens when I do them, um, and I say, God bless them, and God change me, and that's what it's all about. It really is. Um, there's a lot of empathy at this point in my life when I'm finally beginning to see what is really going on. But what really um, irked me and and really jolted me was when I started reading these um, paragraphs that, hey, you're coming into my kitchen, you're coming into my personal space, you're really, uh, you know, you're talking about the members of my family and how they are reacting and what they're doing and uh, we didn't talk about all that. We we were talking about what I was going through all these steps. And here we're just, you know, you're talking about uh, different stuff. You're doing very, very personal. So I just want to reiterate about when, when I do the 10-step about people or different um, situations, God bless them and change me and the word empathy on 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 others so whatever kind of behavior they were they are or were exhibiting is a result of my not um not uh, doing things that a way I was doing that the way I have started to change the way these steps have taught me in order to maintain this kind of serenity within me and 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 it just meant that i needed to review and review and 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 just um, until i got it and with that i will pass thank you thank you miss leah s and next we'll have anna k followed by Nigia S. And Laurianne L., I wanted you to know I did get your name as well. So Anna Kay, please press star one and, and share. Good morning. Can you hear me, Katie? Loud and clear, Miss Anna. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. Nice to hear your voice. I'm Anna Kay from the Poconos in Pennsylvania, a very compulsive, recovered overeater. You know, I had <laughs> my choices in men, both beautiful men, both men who love me, my life partners. And, we're both, are both addicts. Well, the one now is in his own way, and my ex-husband was. And um, my ex-husband, you know, put holes in walls and broke windshields. He did those things. He didn't bring women home, but, you know. But I, even today in a certain way, but definitely then, I wasn't a full wife to him. I couldn't buy clothes that would look good on me or even in the house. With I wore the same garment in the house for years that would get rips and tears. I'm sure he didn't like coming home to that because I hated myself so much. I was in my addiction. I hated myself so much that I couldn't be a full wife. And I'm, and I'm referring to my wifely duties among other things. And when I, I vowed when I would go into my second relationship, life partner, that I wouldn't be like that. But, but when I was active as a wife, as we you know what I'm talking about, I did it with resentment. So I was never clear. When I was in the food, which was most of my life, even though I was in and out of the rooms, I put junk into my marriage. I put fear, anger, 
a self-pity, I was a victim. I would say to other people, relatives, look at poor me, look at them. You know, that was just me. And boy, that just doesn't do much for a relationship. I just, you know, pooped a duped on my relationships. But I didn't know it because I thought I was the victim while hating myself. So I I put a lot of junk in there. And uh, it took me years to see my side of it. I knew, I knew it was there. I knew I, again, I knew it could intellectually understood. It's never one person who screws up. But it's now in this recovery that I am getting it. How much damage I put in there. And to think that it was not me like that, what I did. I mean, I really didn't see it. Anyway, with that, I pass. And I'm so grateful for program. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Thank you, Leah. Great to hear you. And uh, now we'll have Ms. Najia S. followed by Lynn S. Good morning, Najia. Good morning, Katie. Thank you so much for your service and for everyone that is on the line this morning. I don't know what I'm going to say. I just felt very guided to share. But I know under the influence of selfishness and self-centeredness, under the influence of it's all about me, I cannot be available to my children. I cannot be available to friends or family because I was under the influence of that selfishness and self-centeredness and and that all-about-me thinking. And I created, as a result of that, I created a lot of stress and insecurity and fear and doubt in others. And I'm deeply grateful for every bag and box and carton it took for me to come into OA and be under the influence of the steps, under the influence of God. I'm not that person that I was yesterday. I'm grateful that the steps call me to die to myself and rise up and not be about self, but be about others. And it's a beautiful, beautiful place to be under the influence of thinking about others and not myself. So grateful that the step work calls me to make amends. Calls me to many things, but it calls me to to make amends because I think that's the beginning of, of many beginnings of being under the influence of others. So I'm deeply grateful deeply, deeply grateful for the pain that it took for me to come in and be born again and be under the influence of the steps and be under the influence of God, which is all through those steps. And I thank you for your service again and allowing me the time to share. I pass. Thanks, Nigeria. Okay, up next we have Lynn S. And you'll be followed by Hudson L. Lynn S., good morning. Good morning, Katie G. and Vision family. This is Lynn S., a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. The thing that's striking me so much as we read, you know, into, sorry, into wives, as we read two wives, is the change in perspective that program gives us as we get that transformation. Um, I can remember you know, reading this in meetings and, you know, people would get all huffy and they didn't, you know, I hate these chapters, but we'd read them anyway. And then the transformation of myself and reading it and 
maybe recognizing, oh, well, this is about me. Sort of I see me on those pages and it's all about me, you know, and, and I acted like that, but only seeing that. And now as we're reading it, I mean, I have to say that these last three days have been great, but um, it's really hitting me hard and I'm having to stay out of morbid reflection because it's like my own personal fourth step with my mother. But to see now the transformation, how my actions affected other people, especially my mother, but my family, you know, I just want to pull out a few lines. How crude to be told that they understood our men as we did not. Um, I, my dad was adopted. I met his sister when I was in my 25s to 30s and telling my mother continually how much Audrey understood me the way my mother didn't and replacing my mother with this Aunt Audrey figure and sending my aunt Mother's Day cards because you're truly the only mother I ever knew. How painful for my mother. How cruel. And yet my mother would say, well, I'm glad you finally found somebody, you know, that that you're comfortable with. But how cruel to put her through that. Um, And then talking about the deepening pall of resource, depression, and inferiority that settled down on our loved ones. You know, my mother watching me go through time and time again remorse, depression, inferiority, never feeling you know, like I fit in, but watching your child, even your adult child, go through this. And she would be terrified and distracted. And it was so sad for her. And then that treadmill that I put her on. um, And then the final stage, I remember my mother was so afraid for me. I had to go and check in with a doctor every day, and I was on antidepressants. And the threat was if I didn't check in with him, I would go into a psychiatric hospital my mother was terrified of that. She kept thinking, you'll never get a job. Think of your career. You know, I don't want that to happen to you. It fills me with a greater love, the patience, the tolerance, the compassion for my mother, for what I put others through. But I am also so grateful to program that it's opened my eyes and I can see from a different perspective now. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Lynn. Thanks to everyone for really watching the time this morning. It's fantastic. Um, okay, Hudson L., and then we'll be followed by Jody E.Q. Good morning, Hudson. Good morning. Uh, I'm Hudson L. in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, I'm an overeater, a compulsive overeater, and, um, you know, I mostly listen on the line, and rarely do I share um, but uh, I am exactly in that spot uh, of the reading. My behaviors uh, are affecting the people I love, the people I work with, the people I am supposed to serve in, in my work capacity. Um, just stock raging accident at this moment, barely accident at this moment. Um, I... It was just calling my name, what, what was read. It was just like, yep, that's, that's who I was all day yesterday. Uh, exhausted, depleted for all kinds of real reasons, but taking it out on others and not having accountability for that. Uh, my poor, poor, poor wife, Pharrell. I mean, I'm in this house, and she's in this house, and she is a same being. And I'm stomping around because I'm struggling and uh, affecting her peace 
Um, so it's just, I'm just here to be accountable today for my behaviors and my need to get back on course with solid program um, so that these behaviors hopefully will wane and, and be released with true recovery. So with that, I pass. Thank you, Hudson. Okay, and now we'll have Jody EQ, and then we have either Lorianne L or Lorraine L. We're not sure. Um, good morning, Jody. Good morning, Katie, and good morning, everybody. This is Jody EQ, recovering in California. So, yeah, it is painful to reflect on this. I am the alcoholic. I am not the wife. I'm the alcoholic. And it was my husband who bore the brunt of my disease. Um, when he married me, you, there was no way to tell that I was a compulsive overeater. I was a normal weight. Um, and he had no idea. He had no idea. And he really never quite understood my disease. It's pretty complicated. Um, but, you know, when we first first started dating, we would go out together, and I was always hoping that he would suggest, which he sometimes did, that we have ice cream. <laughs> and he had other things on his mind, you know. We were just in a different place. And he really did suffer for 34 years he was with me. And I blamed him. I blamed him for all my troubles, and I was he was angry at me. I was angry at him. Who suffered the most? Our daughter. Our poor daughter. Not that we were throwing things at each other, but there was this tension in the room that you could cut with a knife often. Um, he did divorce me eventually, and uh, he was not criticized by my family. On the contrary, they totally got it. They totally understood. Um, I was criticized by his family, but not he. He was not because I was the one who was selfish and self-centered primarily. It's difficult to see this, especially because I was in OA most of that time, and I still didn't somehow. There were periods. There were periods of recovery. Uh, but overall, it's, you know, it was very difficult for me to see my part in things. Today, we're friends. Thank God. We have a good relationship. We had an amicable divorce, for which I'm very grateful, thanks to the program we did. Anyway, um, yeah, it's hard to see ourselves in these pages, but it's good because I need to change, and I need to see how my attitudes and actions affect other people. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Jody. And we will now have Lori Ann L. or Lorraine L. Did you volunteer to share today? I to make sure I got everybody. Lori Ann L. or Lorraine? Okay. Not hearing you. Okay. So we have time for maybe three, four more shares. If you want to give me your name, please, I'd love to hear you. Margaret John B. L. I got Margaret B., Don L. Anybody else? 
Sandy S. Sandy S. Okay. Let's try that. Margaret B., please go ahead. Um, thank you. May I be heard? Yes, loud and clear, Margaret. Okay, great. Um, thank you for your service. Um, this is My name is Margaret, um, and um, I'm a recovered compulsive eater in Georgia. I'm so very, very grateful, and I know we've heard this all this week to the people that said, yes, let's go ahead and do this chapter. Um, and I just need to say that up front. Um, I can identify with everything that I've heard this morning from windshields being punched out to um, holes in the paneling to um, other women to um, it's the children who suffer. And the one thing that I'm getting, the gratitude that I'm getting out of this, where we're at right now is it is it is very painful. I see myself as, um, and I shared this earlier this week, I see myself in all these different, like, prisms, if you will. You just shift the kaleidoscope one little notch, and it's a whole different view. And so I see myself as the um, codependent in the scenario. I see myself as the parent who really failed um, her child and her husband, or, or the wife who failed her husband, so many different areas. But the biggest thing that I see is how devastating um, this mental disease is of addiction. No matter what role a person is finds himself in, I think it's just a tribute to our higher power that we are so loved that God can pull any of us out by our big toe into any kind of recovery. When I look at, um, you know, all these different parts to it and coming from, and I'm going to wrap this up pretty quickly, but coming from the part of being the, the unrecovered, out of control, raging, screaming, uh, compulsive eater, when I was 18, I left home and tried to make it on my own for, you know, like maybe three or four months. And when I came home, I asked my mother if I could move back in, and she said no. <laughs> you know, that tells you a lot right there, you know, that um, you can't come back home. So um, I, I, I'm just so grateful. I am so very grateful. And I'm so grateful that um, people are sharing – about like the emotional part of this, what it was like to be truly be out of control and to be around people Time, that were please. out of control. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Margaret B. And Don L. and Sandy S., if you could shave your time down to two minutes each, we'll get to, be, we'll get to hear both of you. Don L., please go ahead. Good morning. My name is John L. Oh, excuse me, John. <laughs> oh, that's okay. And I'm in Arizona recovering uh, food addict. And anyway, I would just like to say uh, with me, the other woman for me and my addiction was the food. Uh, I was in a relationship several years ago when I was in the deep throes of food addiction. 
And, you know, I couldn't be there for her. I couldn't be there for her emotionally because the sugar, the food, my mind was obsessed with food and eating and eating. And then at night, I couldn't be there for her in an intimate sense and physically because it's bedtime and I'm stuffed full of food and I'm sweating. I feel like crap because I've overstuffed myself and really deprived this poor gal of a good intimate and emotional support in a relationship. And you know, this addiction and food addiction, it's a horrible thing. I feel bad about this and uh, I just couldn't help it. This, I've got a disease and once I start eating binge foods and this does affect other people and uh, it's not good for me feeling sick all the time and having my cholesterol off the charts and my blood pressure up and I just get real lethargic and just want to lay around and I have to nurse myself because I've overstuffed myself and I can't be of service to anyone. I can't even do work at work very well because I, I've made such a wreck on myself. And this is not to mention how I've disfigured myself and made myself unattractive. And um, I, I just really shortchange an intimate partner when I do things like this. So uh, anyway, that's all I have and I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, John. And Sandy S., please go ahead. We have two minutes for you, Sandy. Okay. Hi, Sandy S. from Asheville. Eternally grateful. I've got to say that. I just want to say this one thing that really helps me uh, be still and know that I am God. I, As a person who has difficulty believing, that is definitely my bedrock. And I identify on many levels. My father and my mother were totally out of control. There was pandemonium. And I ate and threw up. And um, the, the big thing for me is no longer food. By the grace of God, I've been abstinent long-term entirely for a long time. The big issue is fear. It, it, it's like fear could devastate my life in the same way that food did. And um, and now what's so great is I don't regret the past. I don't regret any moment of my parents' insanity, of my own insanity, because I really see that line I also love, no matter how far down the scale we've gone, we can see how our experience could benefit and help others. And I was definitely experienced, I'd say 98% of what we read, as the victim and as the perpetrator. And I can use all that to propel me forward, to deepen my relationship with God, and to be so grateful. To tell you the truth, this is the best day of my life. I don't have time to waste. I'm 71. I am working this program because my hair is on fire with fear. I don't even know what the fear is. But I know one thing, what the solution is, really knowing that I am always connected with God. That's my belief. Everyone is connected no matter what we're doing, no matter where we are. And that brings me solace. And with that, I pass. Perfect timing, Sandy. Thank you. And we are out of time. Thank you for everyone who shared today. And a special thanks to Ann Kay, Jody EQ, Rachel W., Larry K., and Devorah S. in the wings.
Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following our closing. This share ID for today, Thursday, September 6, 2018, is 11883. Again, that's 11883. <clears throat> and we will now close with the reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. And will Larry Kay please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Larry? Sure. Thanks, Katie. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if our own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. Duh. <laughs> See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.